I'm your host, Jesse Burney, and every week I bring you the worst and weirdest the Donald Trump presidency has to offer. I do it because we need to keep track of what he's doing. We need to hold these guys accountable, and we need to remember that this is not normal. We're eight weeks in, and this may honestly be Trump's worst week yet. Let's just take a look at what he's going through. First, America hates the health care bill he's pushing. Uh, Conservatives hate it because it doesn't actually repeal and replace Obamacare. Uh, Ordinary Americans hate it because it's going to take health care away from millions of them. Uh, Liberals like us hate it because we care about the millions of people who are going to lose their health care. You know, there's a good chance the bill won't pass the House, not without major changes making it even more cruel. Uh, It's almost definitely going nowhere in the Senate. Uh, But that's not all uh, to Trump's bad week. Uh, Not one, but two separate judges blocked the latest version of his Muslim ban because it's still a Muslim ban. The first judge was from Hawaii. So a bunch of conservatives on social media decided they were going to fight back by boycotting Hawaii, which makes zero sense like the state a federal judge lives in has nothing to do with the decisions that federal judge makes so that boycott is just stupid uh trump also got into a fight with snoop dogg on twitter that was an odd thing to do uh and if you remember from a couple weeks back his tweet storm accusing barack obama of ordering wiretaps on him during the campaign uh, you know we all knew the moment he tweeted it out that it it was obviously not true, but now the the top Democrat and Republican on the House Intelligence Committee have said it's not true. Even Speaker Paul Ryan has said it's not true. Take a quick listen to that. But the point is, uh, the Intelligence Committees, in their continuing, widening, ongoing investigation of all things Russia, uh, got to the bottom, at least so far, with respect to our intelligence community, that, that no such wiretap existed. But the White House refuses to admit that this isn't true. Uh, Sean Spicer spent an hour in Thursday's press briefing defending this claim. So now the official White House position is that three to five million uh, people voted illegally in the election, that Obama wiretapped Donald Trump during the campaign, and that climate change isn't real, Uh, which is why Trump's budget proposal cuts pretty much all funding for climate change research. That that budget proposal is the big story this week, and I'll be talking about it a a lot on the podcast. It's genuinely awful, even evil. It's not just climate change. This budget literally takes food out of the mouths of children and seniors, and it destroys the National Endowment for the Arts, and the National Endowment for the Humanities. You didn't think Donald Trump could destroy beauty and goodness in this world, but he will be damned if he isn't going to try. Uh, He's also proposing slashing our contribution to the United Nations, which will have all sorts of awful effects. Um, I'm going to be talking with author and journalist Summer Brennan later in the podcast about that. The good news is that his budget is probably going nowhere in Congress, uh, because if he does manage to get a budget like this passed, just like if he gets his health care bill passed, a lot of people are going to die. 
So let's start out with a few items from the budget. Uh, Trump said during the campaign that he was going to fix inner cities. Uh, remember, he usually started out by saying he was going to stop crime within a week. That hasn't happened yet, but maybe he didn't mean the first week. Maybe it's a specific week that's going to come later. So what's his first actual proposal for inner cities? This is from Housing Wire on March 16th. And uh, like all the stories that I talk about in the podcast, you can find a link to them on the website. And that website is thetrumpscorecard.org. President Trump proposed his budget for the 2018 fiscal year, which would include a $6.2 billion cut to the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. This cut represents an annual decrease of 13.2% and would allot $40.7 billion in gross discretionary funding for the agency. $6 billion less in housing for this country. Do you think that won't have an impact? The, the National Low-Income Housing Coalition said it would be, quote, the most severe cut to HUD since President Reagan dramatically reduced funding in the 80s. Reagan's deep cuts ushered in a new age of homelessness. Remember, Trump is a guy who spent his entire career in housing, right? He developed places for people to live, mostly rich people, but it was housing. You know, if you'd expect him to understand one issue, this would be it. Instead, he put a man with no housing experience in charge of HUD and now wants to slash the agency's budget by $6 billion. He's also the guy who was sued in the 70s for discriminating against black people who wanted to rent his apartments. That doesn't seem like a coincidence to me. Uh, but he doesn't just want to kick poor families out of their homes. He also wants to stop feeding poor seniors. This is from Huffington Post on March 16th. The Trump administration wants to cut funding for a program that delivers food to senior citizens because it isn't worth the money, according to President Donald Trump's budget director. We can't spend money on programs just because they sound good and great, Mick Mulvaney said Thursday, referring to Meals on Wheels, a program that uses volunteers to deliver warm meals to more than one million older Americans in their homes every week. Now, the federal government doesn't fund Meals on Wheels directly. They give money to what are called community block grants, and states then distribute that money to programs they, they think deserve the money. In other words, this works exactly how conservatives say government is supposed to work. The states are in charge of how the money gets spent. But now, under the Trump budget, they want to eliminate all that funding, part of which goes to Meals on Wheels, which feeds seniors, which is, yes, both good and great. You know, Mulvaney wants to measure a program like that in terms of return on investment, but the seniors who use it just want to eat. Uh, here's something else Mulvaney said about the budget today. Can we really continue to ask a coal miner in West Virginia or a single mom in Detroit to pay for these programs? The answer was no. We can ask them to pay for defense, and we will, but we can't ask them to continue to pay for the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. First of all, could he be any more condescending to coal miners and single mothers? He doesn't know if they listen to NPR or not, and I'm sure plenty of them do. The Corporation for Public Broadcasting, it doesn't just fund NPR, it funds PBS too. And I bet a lot of their kids watch Sesame Street and other PBS shows. Do you have any idea how much the taxes of a coal miner making like $50,000 a year 
goes toward NPR and PBS? 60 cents. 60 cents. Maybe Mulvaney should ask some coal miners if they're willing to spend 60 cents to keep Sesame Street on their TVs. I bet he'd get a lot more yeses than he'd expect. All right, let's leave the budget for a bit. Hey, stop complaining. I know you love the budget. We'll get back to it. No whining. I will turn this car around. We are going to talk about Michael Flynn, and you are going to like it. All right, so obviously Michael Flynn has been out of the administration for about, I think, 16 years now. I've lost all sense of time. Uh, But it turns out that while Flynn was being considered for national security advisor and campaigning uh, strongly for Trump, he was lobbying for the Turkish government. There's all kinds of weirdness to this story. He hired an FBI agent who was looking into Hillary Clinton's email issues to do some work for him as part of this lobbying. He made more than half a million dollars. I don't know, maybe that's not weird. I've never lobbied for the Turkish government before. But the really weird thing was Sean Spicer this week defending his being hired despite that lobbying. Spicer said it was a personal matter, not a business matter, which, no. Uh, It's an extremely important business matter to know whether the main person advising you on national security has lobbied for one of the most strategically important countries in the entire world. Uh, Spicer said it was, quote, not something that would be appropriate for a government entity to give some someone guidance on when they should file as an individual, as a private citizen, which A, is word salad, and B, is totally insane, because of course the government should tell you whether or not you should tell them that you were lobbying when you're being considered for national security advisor, and then you should not be hired. And speaking of vetting, the energy department had to fire a recent political hire. This guy was 60 years old, uh, a Trump campaign aide, and a massage therapist. And he hates Muslims, like really, really hates them. He called them scum-suckling maggots and said we should exterminate them all. Uh, When the media found out about this guy and asked the Department of Energy, which you'll remember is in charge of maintaining our nuclear arsenal, so who cares who works there? It's not important, and the guy running it is completely unqualified. Uh, Sorry, I got distracted. Uh, Anyway, when the media asked the Department of Energy about this guy, they they fired him. So some A-plus vetting there. And speaking of vetting, again, one of the president's top advisors might be a Nazi. Uh, This is from the foreword on March 16th. Sebastian Gorka, President Trump's top counterterrorism advisor, is a formal member of a Hungarian far-right group that is listed by the U.S. State Department as having been, quote, under the direction of the Nazi government of Germany during World War II, leaders of the organization have told the foreword. So Gorka is originally from Hungary, and he apparently belongs to this group who was founded by the former nationalist leader of the country. He was an avowed anti-Semite. And members of this group aren't actually allowed to immigrate to the United States, meaning there's a good chance that Gorka left out the affiliation on his forms when he first immigrated. Uh, It also means there's a good chance that he's a right-wing anti-Semitic extremist. But, you know, just joining the administration at this point means there's a decent chance you're a 
right-wing anti-Semitic extremist. <laughs> you know, Trump talks a lot about extreme vetting before letting Muslims into this country, but he does a terrible job vetting the people in his own administration. He is the worst. So Trump visited Michigan this week, and he brought some good news. And by good news, I mean terrible news. Uh, the Obama administration boosted the fuel efficiency standard for cars, uh, said that a company's fleet had to have an average of 54.4 miles per gallon by 2025. But Trump doesn't believe in global warming. So he said in Michigan he's going to, quote, review that standard. And by review, he means he's going to kill that standard. And that's not just bad for the environment. It's also bad for business. Making American cars less fuel efficient is going to hurt our exports. And if gas prices go back up, which seems like it will happen someday, uh, domestic sales will be hurt too. Honestly, this one, I, I don't get it. Increasing fuel efficiency standards. It's one of those clear goods for everyone. It's good for the car companies. It's good for consumers. It's good for the planet. Going backwards on them isn't just short-sighted. It's stupid. <laughs> Folks, have you ever looked up the word gall in your dictionary? Because if you go to your bookshelf right now and pull it down, look it up, you'll see a tiny little picture of Attorney General Jeff Sessions next to that word. This is from The Hill on March 10th. Attorney General Jeff Sessions said Thursday that he wouldn't rule out appointing a special prosecutor to investigate the Justice Department under former President Obama. I'm going to do everything I possibly can to restore the independence and professionalism of the Department of Justice, Sessions told conservative radio host Hugh Hewitt. So we would have to consider whether or not some outside special counsel is needed. The independence and professionalism of the Department of Justice. This is the guy who perjured himself during his confirmation hearings, who only recused himself from an investigation that clearly directly involved him after he was ashamed into it by his aforementioned perjury, who this week demanded that every Obama-era U.S. attorney resign. And admittedly, that's not unusual, but the country's most prominent U.S. attorney, uh, the one from the Southern District of New York, Preet Bharara, he was promised during the transition by Trump that he would get to stay because he's involved in some very high-profile investigations. So when they asked him to resign, he refused. And Sessions fired him. That is unusual. Sessions is also the guy you'll remember with an extraordinarily troubling civil rights record, meaning there's a bunch of pretty racist stuff in his background. And he's the one who wants to investigate Obama's Justice Department for independence and professionalism? Honestly, Gall does not begin to cover it. Anyway, that's enough Jeff Sessions for one podcast. <laughs> It's time again for Quick Hits. Quick, quick, quick hits. hits. Let's talk about Jeff Sessions. Uh, I've mentioned before how crazy he is about marijuana, uh, but he's gone full reefer madness, as my colleague Tim Dickinson wrote in Rolling Stone on March 15th. Attorney General Jeff Sessions continued a personal campaign to demonize marijuana, calling cannabis 
a life-wrecking dependency that is only slightly less awful than heroin in a speech on violent crime in Richmond, Virginia, Wednesday. Now listen, that is just ridiculous. Look, you and I know people who have smoked pot. I mean, you you and I have never done it, obviously, but we know people who have smoked pot. And y'all, it is not life-wrecking. It is way less awful than heroin or alcohol or cigarettes. People depend on pot for pain management. Uh, they depend on it to be able to eat if they're taking chemo. And they depend on it to get high and chill out. Frankly, Jeff Sessions could really do with some weed. Try it, Mr. Attorney General. You'll like it. So you know how the Congressional Budget Office said the Trump Care bill would take insurance away from 24 million people? And you know how the White House complained that that CBO estimate was BS? It turns out before the CBO report came out, the White House did its own internal estimate. Guess how many people that estimate said would lose their insurance? 26 million people. They can't stop lying. They can't. But wait, there's more. The bill, as you know, is having trouble moving through Congress, and that means they need more conservative votes. And Trump has indicated he's willing to get them by making the bill worse, including kicking more people off Medicaid sooner. But wait, there's more. They also want to add work requirements to Medicaid, which would only make Medicaid less accessible, thus kicking even more people off Medicaid. Finally, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson threatened that the United States might leave the United Nations Human Rights Council. And to be fair, this council needs to do better work. There are a lot of countries with poor human rights records on it, but leaving won't help. That's an opportunity. We need to be more deeply involved. We need to do more. We need to pressure those countries more. But I want to talk a little bit more uh, in depth about what the Trump administration is planning to do about our role at the UN. So let's go to the next story. I know you missed talking about the budget. I promise you we get back to it. I keep my promises, kids. There is a lot to hate in this Trump budget, but this is one of the most evil. Uh, when OMB Director Mulvaney was speaking about the budget today in the White House press room, he said this. I, I, again, I come back to what the president said on the campaign, which is that he's going to spend less money overseas. Um, to your question, though, because this came up the other day, which is the hard power versus soft power, um, there's a very deliberate attempt here to send a message to our allies and our friends, such as India, and our adversaries, uh, other countries, shall we say, which is that this is a hard power budget, that this administration intends to change course from a soft power budget to a hard power budget. What Mulvaney means when he says hard power versus soft power is that they're going to shift money from helping people to killing them. And here's one really good example. This is from Foreign Policy uh, on March 13th. State Department staffers have been instructed to seek cuts in excess of 50% in U.S. funding for U.N. programs. It goes on. The cuts would fall heaviest on U.N. programs like peacekeeping, UNICEF, and the UN Development Program that are funded out of the budget of the State Department's Bureau of International Organization Affairs. So 
the United States is one of the biggest contributors to the United Nations, if not the biggest contributor, to the tune of $10 billion a year. And that's not all the U.S. does. I mean, the United States is a very important um, part of the U.N., I mean, not the least of which because the main headquarters are in the United States and New York. Um, but also, I mean, the U.S. The US uh, is perhaps the last superpower, what people would say, and, and you know, we have influenced um, uh, militarily, monetarily, economically, culturally, all over the world. And so as such a significant global player, it makes sense that the United States would have a significant role to play in the global community at the U.N. I spoke to Summer Brennan. She's a journalist and author who worked at the U.N. for eight years. She had a really interesting perspective on the role partisanship plays in U.S. support for the United Nations. I mean, we didn't pay our, our U.N. dues for a long time. The first year that I was working at the U.N., George Bush was president, and it was a very different um, very different experience. I mean, when he came and gave his speech at the GA, he was sort of in and out of the building in like, you know, 15 minutes or something. I mean, maybe it's a little longer than that. But, um, you know, under his uh, presidency, the U.S. was not uh, was not as involved in the U.N. and didn't value it as highly. But that changed a lot during the Obama years. And, um, you know, both uh, President Obama and Secretary Clinton were, were very involved um, at the UN during the General Assembly weeks, you know, during conferences, leading, chairing working groups and committees, and it was a, it was a totally different, totally different relationship. And so it sounds like um, what the Trump administration wants to do is go even further back than what the Bush administration was doing. Trump is proposing cutting U.S. contributions by more than half. Now think of everything that the United Nations does. Better yet, let Summer tell you about it. There are different, you know, there are different. Um, segments of the UN that does different things. There are agencies that are doing on-the-ground aid work. Um, you know, of course, UNICEF is very famous. Um, other agencies do ground um, field work as well. So there are people that are providing uh, clean water and food and medical attention and schooling for children and health care. Um, so there's, um, you know, millions of people worldwide are fed and clothed and housed because of UN agencies. Millions of people. And Trump wants to give billions less to the programs that keep them alive. I asked Summer about the kind of impact that will have. Well, I mean, I think it's going to have a major impact because the UN struggles as it is to meet sort of some of its basic costs. I mean, a lot of member states have, you know, struggled with their dues. And um, I think that, you know, this is a time when there's a lot of expensive projects, especially with, you know, regards to climate change and things like that, that have to happen now. I mean, you know, one can argue that, of course, humanitarian crises have to be addressed immediately as well. But um, there's just so much need for those funds that to cut it back so drastically, I think, would have a major impact. I mean, the U.N. has been struggling as a result of the global economic crisis. You remember the story at the beginning mentioned three specific programs, the United Nations Development Program, Peacekeeping, UNICEF. All of these are going to be hit hard by Trump's proposed cuts if they become a reality. Summer did some work for the UN Development Program, so I asked her to explain what it does. They do work, um, you know, all over the world, that helping, you know, building schools and clean water projects. And they do, um, even just in the communications end, there was a, a campaign that my team had just finished when I came on uh, in Egypt, which was um, uh, like a PR sort of media campaign to discourage uh, female genital mutilation. And it was very, I guess, very successful, actually. And so they were, you know, creating um, ads and TV ads, and, you know, that were sort of explaining that this isn't really 
Muslim practice and here's why you're the health reasons why you shouldn't do this to your to your daughter and, and all that and so like that's another thing um so it was really across the board from everything from you know helping with with latrine building projects in india to um like i said you know tv commercials for um and say um fgm and and all that so pretty much across the board as for peacekeeping, I'm sure you've seen footage of UN peacekeepers, whether in reality or in movies. They wear the blue helmets that make conspiracy theorists go berserk. In fact, they do amazing work, and it's not easy. Peacekeeping is an incredibly challenging endeavor, um, especially because the UN has a nonviolent um, directive. And so there's a question of where is that line between um you know, what is keeping the peace? How can you be defensive versus, you know, not, not having enough might? And so there's a lot of debate about robust peacekeeping and what do you do to make these efforts um, effectual. And they work in some of the most dangerous conflict zones all over the world. And they all have these crazy acronyms that I can never remember. And there's like UN MOGIF, which is India, Pakistan, like dealing in Kashmir. There's, you know, UN DOF in Syria. Um, you know, there's UNMIC in Kosovo. Um, Minusma in Mali, um, Minerso in Western Sahara is the one that I ended up working with the most. I mean, they are just helping provide all kinds of you know services to people that don't that basically don't have a government. Peacekeeping operations can provide uh, safety and basic services in a region that doesn't have a functional government. If you don't know about Western Sahara, it's essentially the world's last colony. Uh, Morocco runs it, but the people there are fighting for self-governance. All of these peacekeeping efforts will be hobbled if we cut the UN's budget this deeply. And then there's UNICEF. I'm probably dating myself, but when I was a kid and we went trick-or-treating on Halloween, we had these little cardboard boxes uh, for UNICEF that we would carry around with us along with our candy buckets. And people, when we went to their houses, would drop change in the boxes, which we would then give to UNICEF. Um, I didn't really know then what UNICEF did. UNICEF is the UN Children's Fund, and UNICEF um, supports the rights of children and helps supply food, water, clothes, schooling, um, all over the world. Uh, millions of children are served through UNICEF. And UNICEF is, I think, one of the most effective parts of the UN. So if we talk about cutting money to UNICEF specifically, that's the most like, illogical thing I've ever, I've ever heard. I mean, I, you know, it's... It, I think that there's there are parts of the UN that could do with some trimming, and there might be some you know some replication of of function, like say in New York in certain offices and that kind of thing. But but when you're talking about, I mean, you know, the three agencies that you mentioned, like peacekeeping, um, office of peacekeeping, UNICEF, the development program. I mean, these are all on the ground agencies that are working with people in dire need, and that's just you know. It would be a shame to see less resources um, put towards those programs. This is what the Trump administration is targeting. Feeding children, keeping the peace, keeping the poorest people on earth clothed and housed and fed. Like I said, this budget is evil. The Trump presidency is truly awful, so let's end on a fun note. Uh, I mentioned earlier that Trump got into a Twitter war with Snoop Dogg. Let's hear what Trump had to say. Can you imagine what the outcry would be if Snoop Dogg, failing career and all, had aimed and fired the gun at President Obama? 
jail time. Look, I could go deeply into what this is about. Something about a video where Snoop Dogg pretends to shoot a clown who's dressed up as Trump with a fake gun. But what matters here is that when Donald Trump gets into a fight with Snoop Dogg, we know who wins. Snoop Dogg wins. Snoop Dogg always wins. That's why he's Snoop Dogg. All right, that's it for another atrocious week under the Donald Trump presidency. Uh, I want to thank Summer Brennan. You should check out uh, the podcast she co-hosts. It's called The 451. It's a great cathartic listen, and I know the Trump Scorecard listeners will enjoy it. As always, you can find links to all the stories I've talked about on this episode on the website. That's thetrumpscorecard.org. I'd love to hear from you, either ideas for the podcast or stories you think I should cover. Uh, You can email me at thetrumpscorecard at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetrumpscorecard. Please like that page. Uh, And you can uh, always find me on Twitter at Jesse Bernie. Snoop Loops, part of a balanced breakfast, biatch. The Trump Scorecard is written, hosted, edited, and produced by me, Jesse Bernie. Our music is from bensound.com. I'll be back next week, and remember, this is not normal.